This is Author Talk, presented by Author House, the leading provider of services to help authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Author Talk is a show about new books and the authors who wrote them. It's an opportunity for prospective readers to hear directly from the writers, to hear what inspired them to write and publish, and to hear all the inside details about their books. Here is Author Talk. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Adult Conversations. Oh boy, this could be interesting. The title is uh, one that may be misleading. Our author joins me from St. Thomas and the Virgin Islands. It's Robert D. Collins, Sr. Welcome, sir, to the program. Thank you very much, Jay. I appreciate you uh, letting me be on your program. Well, this is an interesting title, Adult Conversations. That could go in a whole lot of different directions. You have uh, penned about 116 pages. What was the the uh, the concept behind Adult Conversations, Robert? Actually, the title itself is a play on words. Um, once you read the book, you will understand what Adult Conversation is about, but the concept comes from a book that I read 30 years ago called What Do You Say After You Say Hello? It's a book by Dr. Eric Burney, and he's the one who developed the concept of um, adult conversations. Um, and the, con- the content of your book, you have basically, uh, they're, they're, they're short little uh, uh, life excerpts, perhaps, conversations that someone could have in life. Uh, they're easy to read. They probably are less than a, a page or about a page each. You have 53 of them at least in the book. You have things uh, titled things like passing it on, writing to work. Uh, you have uh, things about haircuts and hair pieces and so on and so forth. Which of these stories or these ideas do you think uh, is going to be of interest to the reader? Well, I believe all of them will be of interest because they uh, have the, each of them um, are unique, but they all point back to the concept of this book. And I use, when I decided to write this book, I did not want a boring how-to book. So what I did, I used the concept that I got from the book, which is Parent, Adult, and Child. In his, in his book, he explains how everybody has these ego states. And you have to be in one of these ego states at one time. And he went on further to explain, uh, called it transactional analysis. And basically what that means is every time you talk to somebody, you have a transaction. And that analysis is just a way of analyzing how that transaction took place. Uh, Can I give you a quick um, background on how this works? Yes, please do. Okay. Um, Everybody has the three ego states. And for example, the parent is the ego states that gives commands, directives, instructions, and so forth. For example, the parent may say, do this or don't do that. Get up or go to bed. I told you so. Why don't you listen? Be careful. Don't you want to listen? Stop. Keep moving. And these are all examples of the parent. And people that may have a strong parent is like police officers, mm-hmm. school teachers, um, nurses, um, bosses. All these people have strong parents because they have to say something and expect you to respond. Um, 
officers, uh, naval officers, commanders, all these people have strong parents. Also, a child. A child is your emotions. Basically, that consists of your feelings, laughing, laughing, crying, passions, sentiments, excitement, reaction. These all make up the child. And the child, and these parents, the parent and child are developed from the time you're young. They're like recordings. Hmm. But the adult, the adult is what we develop on our own. And mostly we develop that through reading, but you can also develop it through experience. Um, someone may speak something into your spirit and then you retain it. So that's where the adult comes from. And everyone has a strong parent and child, but everybody does not develop the adult. Um, so that's why I decided to write this book. Now, would you describe the adult thinking uh, or uh, situation as one that is uh, rational in its in its approach rather than emotional? Exactly. The, the adult is, is the one that analyzes. He's a problem solver. He's a rational thinker. You know, he listens with open mind. That is all part of the adult. And um, eventually you want to get to that point instead of reacting emotionally or just giving, like, directives, you know, parent, you know, do this or do that without really thinking it through. Do you think that the emotion should be eliminated in a person's uh, conversation style, or is it still something that should be a part of the whole makeup of the real person? Oh, it has to be a part of the whole person. You know, it's nothing wrong with having a child or a parent. You know, they're very necessary in certain situations, and there's nothing wrong with it. For example, a comedian, his goal is to hook the child and his audience and make them laugh. You know, that's his whole lifeblood depends on that. So, no, there's nothing wrong with having the three, these equal states because we all have them. The point being to know which one you're in and why. Because sometimes you might have a breakdown in communication and you don't know why, but if you have this tool at your disposal, you'll be able to analyze what, what happened in the conversation. Uh, one type or one area of conversation that's difficult for most people to navigate is a spouse or, or a husband-wife scenario. Do you have any of those listed in your book? And if you do, share one of those maybe incidences that might relate to our listeners. A very simple um, one is this. Uh, a husband may be getting ready to go out, and he says to his wife, um, I can't find my keys. Mm -hmm. Do you know where my keys are? And the wife could respond to her parent and say, if you put them where they belong, you wouldn't have lost them. Of course, that's not what he wanted to hear. Or she could have responded in her child and say, no, I don't know where your keys are, so don't blame me if they're missing, you know? Right. You, uh, but, go ahead. No, go ahead. That, that, that's, that's certainly uh, something I can relate to. in her adult and say, no, sweetheart, I don't know where your keys are, but I'd be glad to help you look for them. And that's what he was looking for, the adult right. response. 
I, I like the I like that 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 response you just uh, recounted because I've been in many of those conversations myself. I have a tendency to lose my keys, so uh, I probably respond to the child uh, as a child would when we get into those scenarios. Uh, what is the the easy way to begin to learn how to communicate properly, or is there one? Uh, yeah, yes, there is one. You know, um, I would like to say this though. Um, I have another example I would like to give. You sure. Know, when um, I was watching the TV program, and my daughter snatched the remote out of my hand, and she went running away from me. Now, this is a show I really wanted to see the end, so I was chasing her. And meanwhile, I was my child was being hooked because I was getting angry, I was getting mad. And if I had caught her, I would have gave her a good spanking. But... I decided to sit down, cool up. When I did that, she realized that the chase was over and she came back and gave me the remote. I said, look, um, Annette, not today, but tomorrow we're going to talk about what happened. So the next day I went and I explained to her the parent, adult, and child eagles and how she was in her child when she snatched the remote, thinking it was a game, and she would not, I could not hook her adult because she didn't know about their concept. After I explained this concept to her, it's been working marvelously between us. And she's the one who actually gave me the title to my book, Adult Conversations. Wonderful. And your daughter is uh, still a, is she not a teenager yet, or is she a teenager? Oh, no, she's grown now. She's, she's grown. <laughs> she's in last year of law school. Oh, my and goodness. She, <laughs> yeah, and she, she still uses the concept. Up to recently, I was getting a heater about something. She says to me, Dad, is that your child? So she uses it on me now. now she's probably going to use it in the courtroom, it sounds like. She has learned yeah. learned well. Yeah. yeah, I hope so. And Robert, how long did it take you to complete the scenarios that you have uh, penned in your book? Um, that's a good question, Jay, because I've been procrastinating about this book for years. Mm. Um, I, I remember people walking up to me, a good friend of mine said, look, I um, said something to my wife and she's mad at me and I don't know why, and, but worst of all, he didn't know what to do about it. I knew in my spirit what was going on, but I didn't know how to explain it to him. Uh-huh. So I've been procrastinating for years. I said, i got to write this. Because if you tell people about it, sometimes it goes in one ear and out the other. So... Finally, I saw a commercial on TV with Arthur House Publishing, and I called them, and they told me, okay, this is going to cost you $1,800, and you have to make three payments. Um, so I said, okay, if I'm going to pay for this, I'm going to start writing. Yeah. So every morning after I made that contract, I got up and I forced myself to write a story. And then, of course, later I would go back and check it but every morning before I went to work I will write a story and it took me about six to eight months once I stopped procrastinating and put my mind to it and who is your audience who do you think is going to find this beneficial I'm assuming mostly adults but uh, do you think this might spill over into other family members as well oh yes you know I think the biggest audience will be uh, husband and wives but of course it, it goes to husband, I mean, parents and children, because a lot of parents don't know how to talk to their children. They want to tell them what to do and expect the child to respond 
accordingly. But sometimes you have to hook the adult in that child. Mm. And they all, we all have them. You know, it doesn't matter what age you are. You can hook the adult in any person if you know what to look for and how to do it. I guess one way to describe your book would be thought-provoking essays uh, in the short version that will get people thinking about the more effective way to communicate. Exactly, because you're not going to learn this overnight. But hopefully, if you use my book as like a reference and you see stories in there that you actually been in, situations that you actually been in, you can see how I resolved them. Hopefully, you'll learn the technique because now, to me, it's second nature. It's second nature. You have and, uh, um, you have fifty three fifty three essays or short stories or short uh, vignettes that you have penned. Uh, are you expecting to maybe do a follow up book, Robert? Uh, yes, it has crossed my mind because I have a lot more stories, and you know, uh, and most of these stories are from experiences. And I could see as I sit back and look back at them how I did not handle those experiences um, properly. So, yes, I am thinking about a follow-up book in the future. And I just hope, though, um, this this book helps people uh, to communicate better with, with um in their lives. Wonderful. Robert, thank you for joining me and sharing your story. The uh, title of the book, again, is Adult Conversations. My author, Robert D. Collins, Sr., has joined me from St. Thomas in the Virgin Islands. Uh, someone has to live there. Sorry, it had to be you. Uh, now, Robert, where do, my, where, do my get, where do my listeners get a copy of your, of your book? You can get it online. Um, three major books, so Amazon, Doc, Amazon um, Barnes & Noble, and Author House publishing. Fabulous. And they also can request this from their local bookseller if they choose. Uh, This is a a book that's an easy read. You can read a little bit at a time and use it as a reference book if you choose. Robert, have any of your uh, readers left comments for you on any of the sites? Yes, they have. If um, you have an opportunity, go to Amazon.com and look at the reviews that the readers that have read my book left. I have um, five-star reviews on uh, on, on those reviews. Fabulous. Again, the title, Adult Conversations. Robert D. Collins has been my guest. Thank you, sir, for being a part of today's show. Thank you, Jay, for inviting me. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House. 
helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. The title of the book, Black Witch, and the author, Steve Scott. And Steve joins us now on Author Talk. Hello, Steve. Hi, how you doing? Well, it's great to have you with us. I know this is a very, very emotional, painful time, even though the death of your daughter was back in 1997, and now the publishing of this book. Uh, I don't know if this is just important for the whole cycle, is it? The whole mourning cycle, do you think? Well, no, the publishing of the book was actually kind of a mistake. You know, I wrote this book 15 years ago, and uh, when it was uh, very, uh, you know, like an open wound still. And the things that were in it um, were kind of like, I spent a lot of time on the road with my job, and I was living in hotel rooms, and I was trying to keep my life together from falling apart uh, just because there was a lot of bad things going on. So I wrote the book, and uh, it kept me um, all my free time used up in a positive way, and it got me to read a lot about religion and, and philosophy that I'd never done before. So it opened my mind up in a different way to viewing life and death. And uh, when I was done, I thought I'd laid the whole thing to rest. So that book just laid on the shelf until I decided to, I needed to publish a book. And I was working with Author House, and I was using another book. And right in the middle of the process, I changed it because of uh, the the word count was uh, my other book was too high and it was going to sell for too much I thought but that was just an error so I, tr- I changed it because this other book was already there and ready to go so that's how it came to be published I wouldn't have otherwise done it Natasha your daughter 15 years of age when this happened and the title title very provocative title Black Witch well Black Witch um my wife at the time, who was now deceased, she wasn't the mother of my daughter, but uh, she was my wife for 20 years. She had suffered a similar uh, thing with uh, one of her children, and uh, I. that's kind of when I, or we came together. And so I went through that whole process, and during that process of her grieving for her son, um, we just came to start calling the depression and and those feelings you go through, you know, that there was another presence uh, in the house, and that was the Black Witch. And so anytime we started talking about it, we'd, you know, we'd use that uh, analogy or word or whatever to, to convey the feeling without having to go through the details of the death. You know, and it's just, that's over, and now we're dealing with this Black Witch. So take us back. Talk, talk to us about Natasha. Uh, just... You know, she obviously uh, was a daddy's girl, probably. Well, that is the other, you know, see, the part of the process of this was the, the guilt and stuff that I had, because uh, I, if you read the book, you'll find that um, she left my life when she was about, oh, we divorced. Her and, her and my mother divorced. They returned to Washington. So the last five, six years of her life, it was, you know, phone calls, and it was uh, uh, summer visits, and it was things like that, and I really didn't invest the time I needed to to, to uh, be the figure I should have, because I always figured I had my whole life, and when she came of age, we could spend a lot more time together, 
And then when she was removed from it, I realized how much I'd lost and I hadn't really taken advantage of the time or invested enough time in it because I thought there was always tomorrow. So that was part of the, the whole guilt thing. So how are you dealing with that today? Well, like I said, when I thought I'd laid it to rest 15 years ago, you know, we uh, and her mother, we're back together now. Uh, we go visit her grave. We talk about her a lot. You know, when her birthday comes around, we, you know, we, uh, it's, I don't know, that's just a difficult question. I don't, I don't really deal with it. I, um, I just miss her immensely and, and wish things could have been different. Right. Right. Well, what's the whole story? What happened? Well, um, her her mother, uh, me and her mother had been separated for, I don't know, seven or eight, nine years. And uh, I was working in Alaska. I, w- I was working at a company that was of my own, uh, my own company that was starting to fail. And uh, I received a phone call out of the blue one day. And if you've ever received a phone call like that, you, you can't begin to imagine what an impact has on you so uh when i received this phone call from this person i didn't know and then said that you needed you need to talk to your wife and so it was handed over to my wife and she was completely um incomprehensible uh and finally she just stammered out the word that she's dead and literally um i lost about i don't know 10 seconds of time and when i uh, came to, I was halfway across the room with a phone in my hand and a chair up against the wall, and I was, my world changed in that instant, and uh, then it was a matter of starting to at first realize that uh, what you are going through is not uh, even the, it's the tip of the iceberg, what's to come, and then having to deal with it in the situation of being on the road and away from loved ones, and then, um, come to the realization that it's never going to change and it's something that's going to follow you around like a black witch for the rest of your life and you got to try to find some value in it you know and you can resort not necessarily resort you can look for a, a, a salve or a pulse something to, to, that can make you feel whole again and so i went down the road of uh, christianity and and philosophy trying to figure out how i could you know keep my life together without turning into an alcoholic or or worse was it an accident? She was turning 15. She was a normal little American girl. She snuck out a window at night and got into a car with three of her friends and went on a joyride, no alcohol, no drugs, just being a 15-year-old kid in America, and she was the only one that died. Mm, my goodness. My goodness. Well, uh, I know I can't even begin to understand in many ways because it's so personal like I just shared with you before we have a son that uh, was killed in a car accident uh, when he was 20 so uh, we both understand pain I know there are those around you like around been around me they wondered uh, how in the world do you get through this you know they they didn't think they could well um See, I was kind of the opposite. I was Iron Man. You know, I had done everything and experienced all these things, so it was just a matter of um, making some sort of logical sense out of it, and it would heal of its own, you know, volition. Um, 
So that's why I started down that road, you know, and uh, it took me a long time to understand that, no, this is not going away, and you have to deal with this, and there'll be days you wake up, and, you know, I woke up many times in a hotel room after having a devastating dream, knowing that I had to get up and function in the world again, when all I wanted to do was, you know, go get a drink and run away, you know, Uh, so confronting life. And really the only reason I was doing that is because I had responsibilities and I had a wife and I had stepkids and I had my other son, you know, and I had to be some sort of, you know, give them some sort of um, a picture that, you know, you can get through this and you can deal with this. And that was probably the only thing that kept me going. You mentioned that you spent some time trying to learn more about Christianity, philosophy. What has come out of that? Has that helped you? Well, if you read the book, you'll find that my take on some philosophers uh, turned out, I, I, I feel that they are um, uh, of a completely different mind than I am. Uh, but there are some, you know, Spinoza is one that that is that really... Um, helped me actually choose my path of uh, pursuing religion. And he actually, you know, if you find a kindred soul, you know, from 400 years ago, and you can read words that mean something to you, and you they can impart something in you that makes sense when, you know, uh, Christianity, I choose to say that I'm a spiritual person instead of a Christian, because I don't um, um, completely... You know, I don't know that I completely give myself away to another person. That's what's demanded of Christianity. So that's the the crux that I had. Uh, but the but the Christian faith is is about as close as I can come to um, uh, having hope for you know my soul and the world. Uh, philosophy is more of an intellectual dissection of um, um, life, and so that attracted me in the beginning, but. Um, I feel I'm a spiritual person that leans a lot towards Christianity, and I hope that I can get there before I die. Publishing this book, does that close a chapter very important to you? I don't know if I told you before. If I had to do it, I wouldn't do it again. I would have left it on the shelf, and I would have, it, I think the wound would have healed a lot easier because the, well, Actually, the final rewriting of the book, I was with um, Tasha's mother at the time, and that brought a whole new perspective after, you know, because I I kind of shunned her out of my life, and I brought her back into it, and I began to understand things that I didn't really know, and I gained some knowledge that I didn't know, and I could understand her suffering as a kindred soul, and um, that helped a lot. But as far as publishing this book, putting it to rest, I don't, you know, I have to, if I ever see it on a shelf or if I, someone sits down on an airplane and i got to start talking about it again, it's something I just don't, uh, it doesn't bring a lot of joy to me. So where do you go from here? I'm going to wrap myself up in my family. I have, Tasha was my only biological child. I have uh, four others now from uh, my two marriages, and I'm going to, to uh, I'm going to try to make uh, my life with uh, Sherry uh, Tasha's wife as good as I can. I'm going to try to help my children as best I can. I'm trying to live a Christian life, even though maybe I'm not one, and I'm going to uh, 
try to find some joy every day and uh, exude that to uh, my stepchildren and my friends. Well, Steve, we appreciate your honesty. We appreciate your sharing in such a direct way. And, of course, uh, life is so fragile, as you point out. Uh, it's a sacred thing, and we all take it for granted, don't we? We do until something stirs it up. And, you know, you just have to feel lucky if nothing ever stirs up your perfect life with your perfect family and all that stuff. But th- that doesn't happen very often, I don't think. I agree. I agree with that. Well, tell us, what's the best way to get your book, Black Witch? Well, the best way is to order it through either Author House or through Amazon or uh, Barnes & Noble. You can get the e-version, or you can get uh, there's a hardcover and a softcover. That's the best way. I have a website, uh, but I'm not set up to sell the book on the website. It's more of a author's blog because I'm pursuing other um, books that I've written over the years. So that is the best way at this time. You know, um, I don't know if there's going to be any success with the book, but if there are any buddies out there that's interested, that would be my suggestion at the time, this time. We've been talking with Steve Scott, author of his book, Black Witch. Steve, thank you so much for joining us on Author Talk. Thank you, and I appreciate you taking the time. You're listening to Author Talk. We'll be back right after these messages. Homeschooling? Have questions? Get your pen and paper ready. It's the sociable homeschooler, Vivian McNinney. Fridays at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. After a handsome blue-eyed Texan fell in love with Vivian at the Victoria Station in London, she found herself at DFW Airport with a tiny suitcase and a snazzy little duffel bag. Well, 25 years later, she is now happily married to that blue-eyed cowboy. They have four grown children, ages 24 to 18, who became willing guinea pigs when she unwittingly stumbled upon the world of homeschooling. Wildflower Academy flourished for 15 years. They survived and thrived, and you can too. Vivian will be covering a wide range of issues that face homeschoolers. What do you do with kids in the summer? How to set up your one-room schoolhouse? How obedience is paramount? And what to do with those snakes? Plus, she'll be sharing ideas and insights that she gleaned from other homeschoolers. So join us for an engaging hour with a sociable homeschooler. Vivian McNinney, Friday afternoons at 5, 4 Central on toginet.com. Welcome back to Author Talk, brought to you by Author House, helping authors publish, promote, and sell their books around the world. Welcome to Author Voices on the Air, and I'm your host, Rick Bell. Our next book, The Fourth Wife of Alier Bay, is a portrait of bygone societies and worlds which the author feels will never be regained. The story of a courageous life. She was a model, he was in the Foreign Legion. They met in Paris and were married in Tehran. And joining me today to tell us more about his love story. It gives me great pleasure to welcome our next guest, the author, who affectionately likes to be known as Mrs. Menon. Welcome to the show and thank you for joining me. Now, it's a book of love, it's a book set in history. How did you come to write the book what gave you the the idea and what gave you the inspiration and motivation well um i think celebrity lives have been documented already whereas there are apparently ordinary people who lead extraordinary lives 
And if we don't write about them, if we don't document their lives, they'll be lost. The stories will be lost. Well, it's certainly true. And I think everybody, if you look into everybody's life, will have a story to tell. And as you say, it's not all about celebrities. Now, when you were writing this book, you must have had a readership in mind. Who did you write the book for? Um, I think who, people who are interested in recent history of the region, which is not the Middle East, it's Iran. Well, they they sort of, sort of went into, ended up in Iran. And um, it's quite a varied life. Uh, they lived in North Africa. She lived in Paris in North Africa. He was in North Africa as well. They lived in Iran. So um, I think, I think you know, that there's quite a lot of movement there. And as I said, um, if we don't document all these lives now, they're lost. So you're not only telling a love story, but you're, as you say, recording history. What, what is the one thing that you would like readers and listeners to the show to take away from reading this book? I think I'd like them to be aware that uh, Iran was quite quite a happy place. Was once, no longer today, of course. Now, tell me a little bit more about some of the scenes and the characters in the book, just to grab the listener's imagination. Uh, well, of course, they're both rather colourful characters themselves. Then. Um, I particularly enjoyed, I'll tell you which bit I did enjoy writing about. There is a Kurdish cousin who comes to visit. And I thought he was very funny. Well, I enjoyed writing about him. I mean, it's not very long, that chapter, but he's a very amusing character when he um, walks into their flat and leaves behind his followers, his companions, to guard them. This is in the middle of Tehran. And they remove their shoes when they walk into the flat. But they don't remove their... They don't put aside their arms. So I thought that was quite funny. Now, can I ask, just briefly, how did you discover uh, the, the main characters in the book that inspired you to tell the story? A mutual friend introduced us. So it was people that you actually knew. Now, the, the story, as you say, takes place in uh, Iran. What period in history does it take place? 20th century, before the Shah fell. So they arrived in Iran, I think it was 1956, and uh, they were there until 79. Well, she was there until 76, and he was there until 79. And you must remember, in his case, it was the second time he was rearranging his life and was displaced, because the first time his family had to flee Azerbaijan in 1920, when he was seven. So it certainly sounds like a story that will appeal to many people on different levels. As you say, it's a love story. It's a story of travel, of, in some respects, conflict in, in the world. Uh, you mentioned there that you right. had, had to flee right. the original yes. country. Now, we've talked about the fact that 
it's not a story about celebrities. It's a story about real people, if I can use that term. But in what other respects would you say this book is unlike others on similar topics? And what makes it different? What sets it apart? I think the way they remade their lives every time, and particularly the way he did, and of course she did as well, because she just kept on accepting whatever he did, except right at the end when she walked out on him. So something about a sad ending to the story. What three words would you personally choose to describe the book, the story, the characters, etc.? Gosh, you know, I don't really know. Uh, as I said, she was a model. Her parents were displaced with the upheavals of the Russian Revolution. And he was displaced all the time from the age of seven. So I think I think the way I'd like to describe them is courageous lives, which is what I've said in the introduction. Now, when you're writing a book, um, obviously there's a degree of research, uh, which is helped by the fact that, as you say, you, you knew the characters in the book. But what did you find the most challenging part of writing this book and what was the most rewarding aspect of it? The most challenging part was that I couldn't find any documentation on his life. She had some photographs, she had one newspaper article, and I found a couple of paragraphs in another biography, an autobiography, actually. Um, and that was it. So I had to piece together everything from what she'd said and what other people were telling me and so on. And there weren't other, too many other people who, who were still alive. And that was very challenging. So how did you manage to to fill in the gaps? I mean, you mentioned there that you didn't have a lot of documentation about his life to go on. So how did you manage to, to fill in those gaps in your research? Well, I went by what she told me and or what she she knew of his life. And the thing is, she was 20 years younger than he was. So she wasn't present for a large part of his life anyway. And I had to piece together things from, from what she told me. And um, as I said, there were a few people still alive who remembered him, but most of them were dead, which is why, uh, as I said, I went to his cousins, and that's the last chapter, the second last chapter in the book. Now, reading the story myself, um, it certainly sounds like a story, it sounds like characters that would be straight out of a movie. Is that, could, could you ever see this um, be made into a, a TV drama or a movie? Oh, I'd love to see it done. I think it's, it's very rich visually, so I'd love to see it done. Just really on a light-hearted note, if this was to be turned into a television series or a movie, who would you, amongst all the famous actors um, that are either still with us or not, who would you choose to play the two leading roles? Uh, well, she herself told me ages ago, before she died, that she would have liked uh, an Indian actor called Kabir Bedi to play her husband. And she saw Kirsten Scott Thomas as herself. This is what she said. 
Well, certainly it sounds that um, the lady herself obviously could see her own life story um, on on the silver screen, as they say. Now, is there anything that we haven't covered here today that you feel is important for people to know about the story and about your book? Well, I think I said it all in the book, so I hope they'll read it. Well, I certainly haven't read it myself. I would certainly recommend that they, um, they read this book. It's a story that will appeal to so many people. I think so. It's not a woman's story, you know, it's not chick lit. I think it's a story that appeals to listeners and readers who like love stories, who like historic, especially the fact that the the story in itself is based on, you know, it's, a, it's real people, it's a true story, and it has many historic aspects to it. And I think the main thing is that people love reading about real characters, um, and that that makes a better story than anything that fiction could make up. I think so. I hope so. Anyway, thank you. The Fourth Wife of Alia B is published by Author House, and is available from the publisher at authorhouse.com forward slash bookstore and all good bookstockists. Many thanks to my guest today, the author, Atida Javeri Menon. Thank you for joining me on the show. This is Rick Bell for Tognet Radio. Thank you for listening.